unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Isaiah 22, let's begin from the ninth verse. If you there, you say amen. Aha, uh-huh, one, two, three, let's go. You have seen also the breaches of the city of David, okay? That there are many... And you gather together the waters of the lower pool. This, this, God is talking about people who have seen certain things in the spirit, okay? If you want to understand where I'm coming from, can you go back to the first verse and just read? Just the first line. Uh-huh. It's called the burden of the what? Of the valley of what? Of vision. Now, the prophet is defining a certain burden, okay? And here, he's talking about the valley of vision. The burden of the valley of vision, okay? Now, let's go back to where we're at. He says, you've also... He, okay, the reason why I'm skipping that is because of time. And that he, he started sharing the things that he knows the children of God had seen. Eh? So, I'm not talking about people who don't see. I'm talking about people who see, okay? And so, in the ninth verse, he says, you have also seen the what? The breaches of the city of David, that they are what? Many, and you gather together the waters of the lower pool. Next verse, uh huh. And you have numbered the house of Jerusalem, and the houses have you broken down to fortify the wall, uh huh. You made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool that you have not looked unto. Sorry, but you have not what? Looked unto the maker thereof, neither had respect unto him that fashioned the fashioned it long ago. Just give me the 11th verse, perhaps. I'll make some more sense there in the message. The message says. You built a large cistern to what? To ensure plenty of water. You looked and looked and looked, but you never looked to him who gave you the city. Never once consulted the one who had long plans for this city. I don't know if I'm making sense. You're talking of a man who wakes up in the morning and the Lord gives them a vision. Okay? And they start to see in the spirit. And they start to respond to whatever they see. And they look at everything except the Lord. I don't know whether you understand what I'm making sense here. They see everything in the spirit except on the Lord. The one who gave them the city. And the one who had the plans for the city. I don't know whether you understand what I'm trying to tell you. Now, Isaiah begins that chapter with a certain burden in the valley of vision. And his burden here is not that people are not seeing. No, his burden is that they've seen everything except the Lord. Do you understand? Now, you read the Psalms 27. The Bible tells you that one thing that I long for, okay, and one thing that I yearn for is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Yes, Forever doing what? Beholding the beauty of the Lord and inquiring in his 
temple. The place where we behold his beauty as he is as God and then we start asking questions. Meaning, you see, it's like, it's like somebody gets into the spirit. Okay? And they're thrown into the heavenly places. And then they see cherubim. They see seraphim. They see the glassy sea. They see everything beautiful. Okay? And there's a direction in which the Lord is. Eh? But they don't look there. Are you hearing me? Then they get so lost in the fancy of the beauty of the heavenlies and everything surrounding it except the Lord. And then that man comes from that experience and says, I went to heaven on Tuesday. And it's true he went to heaven on Tuesday. Are you hearing me? And he will start narrating or she will start narrating everything they saw in heaven. And truthfully, all of those things they claim to have seen really existed in the heavenlies. But now the biggest problem now, they look not on the Lord who gave them the city and had the plans. And now we walk a life of Christianity that carries a vision but without purpose. Why? Because it's not aligned to the mind of the spirit. Okay? It's aligned to the pleasures, the lusts of our lives. That is why there is a place where if, if, if a man should walk in God, there are certain things you must be dead to. You understand? There are certain things you must be dead to. Because if you're not dead to those things, you will look at the wrong things when the Lord starts to open up certain things for you. Are you hearing? Whether you want it or not, every person has a way they view God. You see, the reason why we preach the gospel, okay, out of what we have seen, touched, and tested concerning the word of life, is because sometimes the most definitive, let me say, the most distinctive ministry that qualifies every minister has to move as far as they have seen God, okay? But the difference, the place of what God has worked in you rather than what God has worked outside you. So when Paul says, I would dare not to speak except of the things that Christ has wrought in me, he's talking about an experience of how we can get so lost in the things the Lord has done so around us that we lose the picture of what actually the Lord ought to do in us, okay? And so... It's easy for the world to promote us and rank us in different places because for you to be a man of God in our generation, either you make a layman walk open a blind eye, raise one dead guy, and you're a man of God. You get where I'm coming from? If you have to go back to the what qualifies people to be men of God, either it's you, a guy went to five Bible schools, has a master's degree in, in theology and perhaps a doctorate, and that is what we regard as a man of God. Or... Probably there are many other things that we used to qualify people to be either men or women of God. I don't, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah? So today it's easy for somebody to wake up and say, I am a man of God, I'm called of the Spirit, and I'm a minister of the gospel. Are you hearing me? But then at the end of the day, sometimes, and that is why the scriptures speak of the experience that Samson had at the Valley of Ashkelon, because I believe everybody has to have that kind of experience as a child of God. The Hebrew word Ashkelon there means the place where a man is weighed against what he knows. Okay? Everybody has to be weighed against how much they know. Because remember, the scriptures are clear. The place of death is a place of lack of knowledge. You get where I'm coming from? Please, don't confuse 
political correctness eh? or a good oration with being deep. Those are two different things. The scriptures speak of a man called Apollos. The Bible says he was fervent in the spirit. Are you hearing me? He was mighty in scripture. He was fervent in the spirit, mighty in scripture. But the Bible says, but he beheld the doctrine of John the Baptist. So, sometimes, let us even go past the place of a man being fervent. And let us also go past the place of a man being mighty in scripture. Because a man can be fervent and mighty in scripture, but behold the wrong thing. Are you with me? It's still not what qualifies us. You get? And that's the thing that shifts us from mere Christianity to the true call of God upon our lives. You understand? Now, Paul comes to a people. He tells them you're equipped in knowledge, in utterances, and he says, and you come short in no gifts. He, he has looked at the church in Corinth and he cannot help to tell them everything. You've been enriched. They are good in utterance. The Bible says in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no one. Wait on the coming of the Lord. They are gifted in every gift. Are you hearing me? They are knowledgeable in all knowledge. They are equipped in all utterance. Are you hearing me? There is nothing not working in them. But he goes in the third chapter. That's chapter one. He goes in the third chapter and he says, there is stuff I needed to tell you when I came. But you see, I found that you are unable to what? I could not speak to you as spiritual. But as unto canon, even as unto babes in Christ, you, you have all knowledge, but you're still babes. Are you hearing me? You're gifted in everything, but you're still babes. You are, you are equipped to, you, you, you come not short in no gifts. This is chapter one. Are you hearing me? In chapter one, they have all knowledge. In chapter one, they have all gifts. They have everything that you need to define everything called Jesus Christ. Christ is confirmed into them. But when Paul comes, he realizes he cannot speak to them even as spiritual men. Because there is a knowledge above knowledge. <laughs> That's why Paul says, the Bible says that he giveth wisdom to them which are wise. There is a knowledge above what you define as knowledge. There is, there is a gift above what you define as gifts. There is an utterance above that which you define as utterance. That is why he can in a figure transfer stuff to Apollos. Not by speech. Figure. Because their knowledge is only based on how much a man can utter. And doors of utterance are open before us. That is okay. But there is a depth in God. He's past giving you your Sunday meal or your evening tea. No. He comes to you. He says that I might impart into you some spiritual charismatos that in the end you might be established. I, I don't want to preach you out of poverty. No, that's a small thing. I want to put the miraculous faculty in you. The thing in you that makes miracles. Not the waiting on the man of God to do the miracle. But some, I don't know whether you understand. He, we are talking of some, Paul. Paul doesn't want to get you a husband. He doesn't want to get only cancer out of your body. He says, I come to you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end that you may be what? When you write, read that word gift, it's charismatos. 
the very miraculous faculty. He doesn't want to give you a miracle. He wants to put into you the thing that gives the miracle. He doesn't want you to seek him next Tuesday for an answer. No, he wants to put something in you. And it's an answer. And it will give other people an answer. Are you hearing me? Now, you find a man who is enriched in all utterance, has all gifts on his life. Are you hearing me? Is behind in no gift. That means in the meetings, the healings are there, prophecies are there. Are you hearing me? And I'm not talking about just funny prophets. I'm talking about real prophetic officers, okay? We have some in our nation. You'll see. There's some people God has raised there. Eh? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, everything is working as you ought to see the church in its own perfection. And Paul still can't have fellowship. You get? He still can't have fellowship. Because the way he sees the world, you see, that, that is why if a man has not seen a certain burden, that man will only minister from a gifting. That's why in Isaiah, I think it's 13 verse 1, he spoke of the burden which Isaiah saw concerning Babylon. Yeah? He says the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. It, it, the, when a man begins from a perspective of a burden seen, he's different from a man just functioning from a gift they carry. Gifts detach us from the true purpose of God. They are not wrong, no. They are only beneficial to the attracting of the lives of men to the things of God that we might impart into them the burden. You see, I'll give you an example. <sighs> we used to sing this song. Burdens I leave that I carry. Who remembers that? Uh-huh. Those of you who are not singing, I don't know which school you went to. <laughs> but Jesus said, take ye of my yoke. Not everything was carried. He only promised its light. He's. I don't know you get it. He says, for my yoke is what? And my burden is what? His life. He says, you take mine. He didn't remove his yoke. Okay? He did not remove his yoke. His burden is still there. He's. I'm not talking about the burdens of the world. So what you used to see was the burdens of the world. Poverty. Disease, sickness, witchcraft, huh? sin, all these kinds of things. Those he what? But the Lord ought not to lift off a burden which is his. Okay? There's a difference between the burden of the Lord and the burden of this world. Are you hearing me? So, when you sing cast your burdens unto Jesus, that one we understand that some of you have refused to release worldly burdens. Okay? In fact, that's why when Paul comes to the church, he's not interested in arraying truths in line with what is burdensome to the lives of men individually. And that's why the church has lost it. 
We still think that men need to understand that next year they'll get a job. That's, that's why we've lost it. We still think that what's going to bring people next Thursday is because we told them that you have to get married on Tuesday. We still think, listen, 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 even if you don't get married, (laughs) there ought to be something on your spirit that pumps your blood in a certain way, more than a man. That even if a man came, you'd still say, this is not it. I'm talking of Jesus being your ultimate satisfaction and pleasure. Are you hearing me? That you can get a man in your life and still realize it's not it. You get a car and it's still not it. You get a building and a house, it's still not it. You get money on your account and it's still not it eat. You take drugs, you drink anything in this world and you still realize no, there is a drug that gets on my head. It is deeper than a man, deeper than any alcohol. That's what puts us on the streets and we preach the gospel. It's not because we are crazy. No, there is something inside us. That's what makes us scream. That is why we go to hospitals. That is why we tell people, come and pray. We don't tell them because, ah, come on. Inside us, there's something. Paul shifts from advice to necessity. Necessity is laid on me. If I preach, not the one to me. If I preach, listen, this is deeper than your job. Oh, my baby, my baby, six months. Put her on the back and come and pray. Because you're dealing with a God who can tell Abraham, get your son, your only son. And the guy says, no, God, you're more important than this dude. I can put him on the altar and slit his head. That's that's the God you're dealing with. Oh, I didn't pray my child is six months. No, put her on the back. Come and pray. Because what you carry is the burden of the Christ. And it is light, baby. It is light. He promised us joy unspeakable, full of glory. God give us burdens. Men are in church. And then you ask a guy, why did you come? I came because I have a problem with my passport. Really? Why did you come? I came because my marriage is breaking. Really? Why did you come? I came because my... I came because I am... This is eternal life. That you might know the one true God. And his only son, Jesus. What happened to the church? Why is everybody on what they need except what Christ needs? And that's why we're preaching. That's why we're giving you this year. Come on. It's good sometimes if it's a tool for the gospel. Purpose. That is why she believes God for a husband. The husband comes and then she realizes uh uh-uh. Two cannot work together unless they agree. Your vision and mine are two different things. 
you're looking at a you're looking at a Christ on the cross. I I'm seeing him off the cross, and now problems start to happen. My husband is not praying here. I don't know why he has a problem with what I'm believing. Who took you there? Who took you there? Listen, if the man believes that his Christ has never left the cross, let him marry a woman whose, whose Christ also has not left the cross. So that two people can walk together with a Christ who is still on the cross. But if yours left the cross, you better marry a man whose Christ left the cross. And is seated in the heavenly places. Far above all principalities and powers. Come on, tell your neighbor, stop compromise. Honey, I want to pray. No, I want you in the bed. Honey, I feel like praying. No, I want you in the bed. You have a problem. <laughs> it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be, honey, I want to pray. Let me join you. Let, let me join you. But then, Vision. Why does the Lord, why did he even join the two of you? Did he join you because you're beautiful and he's handsome? Did he join you because you always believed God for a teacher? You, why, why are you married? Woman, why are you married? If it's not for Christ, soon you'll carry him as a burden. Or he will carry you as a burden. Some of you don't understand what I'm saying. Listen. Listen. Even your friends. If I'm looking north. And you're my bad and you're looking south. I don't care whether you're beautiful. Or you have a lot of money. Or you have. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will love you like Jesus loved the church but I will not be acquainted. If I have to be in your life, I must have purpose to win you over. Some of you don't understand. You're in unhealthy friendships, unhealthy relationships, unhealthy businesses, unhealthy workplaces, unhealthy everything. Why did you get married Why? I have a sermon on that. It's called Why Marriage. <laughs> it's wonderful. You should listen to it. So it is with our jobs. Why do you want to be a lawyer? Now, I want to be a lawyer because it's marketable. The other day I found a friend in the United States and she told me, um, it's, I want to be a nurse. Why? Because it's like one of the fastest growing professions. Everybody... Americans are sick people. I said, hey, that's, that is why you want to be a nurse. Is that all? The power of the reason Christ is inside you. He said, I am come that you might have life. Life to the fullest. Come on. And you just want to be a nurse because people are falling sick. You don't see that there is a power in your hand that can get cancer out of somebody's body. Oh, ye of little faith. Now, that's all we preach. This year, you're going to get that. This year, 
Christ is going to pay your debt. And then they vibrate. But you see, he told them to lend to nations. He, he told them to lend to nations. They are still believing God to pay debts. And then we are saying, we are the heads and not the tail. Listen, if you are indebted, you can't be the head. Because the Bible is clear that he that borrows is a slave to the lender. Then you say, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. Clear your debt. Clear your debt in the name of Jesus. Even Christians don't want to pay. Now let me start on you. Somebody lent you money. So, we've kept the church in little talk while the men of the world are doing big because they know what is inside them. We're still in these little small things. God can help you start. You can start with a few tomatoes on the road. No! Why should you start with tomatoes? God elevate you! And once you're elevated, you can be sure your business is of the Lord. Your, your, come on, your job is because of the Lord. It has to bring a certain glory to the kingdom. Some people just want these things so they boast and say, I have a company. I have a company. No. No. How much money does that company make? How much do you spend in winning souls? I have a company. Keep your company. Even Muslims have company. Does your business tithe? Do you give your fruits, your first fruits? Businessman? I have a company. I have a company. I'm a Christian. Shut up. Shut up. Listen, everything we do must have a glorification of the Lord. Are you hearing me? When you say I am a teacher in a school, man, drag those kids to heaven. You ask Sylvia, she can tell you when I was in the bank. God comes out of our little boy, preached to almost everybody there. By the time we left, people were Christians. And I knew, yeah, I'd done my role. You understand? You don't just get in two things and then you think you're going to stand in front of a computer. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm a Christian. I did not come to preach Jesus Christ. I came to make one million. One, one million shillings and then I go home. Listen, Christians, 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 do you know why people wake up to preach? Do you know why people go on the streets to preach? Do you know why people spend everything they have? They carry a burden. But there are Christians who don't carry burdens. They carry needs. In, listen, you're going to be shocked that some Christians, if you check them out in the spirit realm, they're like beggars who sit on the streets like this. I need a quarter. I need a quarter. 
need a quarter. I need a quarter. But, but, but if you ask them, what's your profession? They say, I'm a bank manager. <laughs> but when they get in the presence of God, Father, I want, I want, I want a DVD player. I want, uh, I want a mobile phone. I want a new hairpiece, God. I want a bag. I want a shoe, God. A good shoe. Ah, God, I want, I want a plot of land I'm planning. And then you ask them, what do you want God to do for you? I need a, there's a plot of land I'm trying to pay. And then that passes. And then the next week you ask them, what do you want God to do for you? There's a certain crime supposed to clear. Oh, and then you pray that, oh, what do you want God to do for you? There's my children. I want them to excel in. Oh, God, why won't you ask to know God? That is why when Paul is praying for the church at Ephesians, he didn't say, I pray that the Lord God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grant unto you a spirit of building a house and buying a car. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you may know what is the hope of your mobile phone and what are the glorious riches of owning a Galaxy S6 and what is the exceeding greatness of having an iPhone Plus. And to know, no, he says and to know what is the exceeding greatness of power which is at work within you. The riches of the glory of Christ. The hope of your calling. That you might be strengthened with might in your inner man through the Holy Ghost. Not that you might be established in the market where you were in Chikubo, alongside those people who are selling posho. Come on, tell your neighbor, get a burden. Seriously, get a burden. When I was in university, we went for a conference, and um, I was among the people which were worshiping with the people. We was a group who were worshiping God. And then this preacher preaches, and after he makes an altar call. And when he makes an altar call, Jesus, I was standing around here. I remember it was this side of the pulpit. Jesus appeared. Okay? And amazing, when Jesus appears to you alone... <laughs> Sometimes you look funny. <laughs> Do you understand? Because you're the one seeing him. You're the one hearing. Nobody's hearing. Jesus appears. Direct. I am seeing him. He's there. The man says, I don't want to close this service without making an altar call. And the moment he said, without making an altar call. Because Jesus was there and I saw him. My spirit was lifted from the carnal mind immediately and as in the spirit. And while in the spirit, Jesus gets the figure of the spirit was like he gets his heart, his hand, puts it on his chest where the, the heart is, gets something like that and puts it in my spirit, Okay. And I'm watching this. And I hear the word saying, from today, I want you to know how I feel. You know, I never understood that there is a feeling after of God. So in the book of Acts speaks of a place where he has appointed boundaries of habitation that men should, should seek after him. If happily they will what? Let's go to the next verse, 27. He says that they should seek the Lord if happily they may feel after him and find him. Listen. You can't find a God you don't feel after. So when people say it's seek and you shall find, the middle part is feeling after. You didn't get me. 
People say, seek ye the Lord and you shall find. But the Bible speaks of a place where they should seek the Lord, comma, if happily they might feel after him, comma, and find him. God does not want to be found by men who don't feel after him. That is why there are many people who seek the Lord and don't see him because they're not interested in the feeling after. You, so you ask a Christian, what do you want God to do for you? I want a healing anointing. Why do you want it? Says that I can heal. Why do you want to heal? You wear the man's spirit and you realize he just wants to heal. Says that he can look like the next best evangelist or apostle. Only. And then you read in the scriptures, you find a Christ who says, and he was moved by compassion and healed. There's a feeling, there's a feeling that hits the Christ before he heals. If you don't have that feeling, you have no business with the healing. It will kill you. Do you understand? You're not feeling the heart of Christ. Are you hearing me? When the Bible speaks of the priest who is not ignorant of our infirmities, it means he, he, he's, yes, he, they had to get a certain effect on him. He wants to know how you feel before he gets into your circumstance. But you find people with gifts and they're detached to the feeling after and thereby they cannot be a burden or even understand why God does miracles. And then you see somebody saying, why don't I see miracles in my life? Do you even feel after God? You can't feel after God and not see the miracles. You can't. It's impossible. When a man starts to feel after God, you've seen miracles. But let me tell you something. And I was sharing this with my brother when we were having lunch on Sunday. Even in the toughest places of miracles, sometimes when you start to feel after certain people, you realize that sometimes you can even carry the pain they're carrying. You come to pray for a guy with a headache and you start to feel it. And then you pray because he, the spirit that is at work within you is carrying. He carried our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. You get my point? So there's a place where sometimes you might even feel a splitting headache. Not because it's come to you, but because you're feeling after a certain man. And, and when you pray for them and they're healed, yours lifts. Because what attacks you is not even a pain. It's not even the devil. No. It's a sudden feel after that positions you in the place where it hurts most. So you will get a sudden feeling after. You get my point? One time I was in a church and then I got a pain in my lower abdomen. A pain that I know only women feel. I said, no, there's something wrong. I said, there's somebody with a pain. It's under here. Come quickly. The spirit told me it's somebody. She came. I laid hands on her. She was healed immediately. The Holy Ghost told me there's another one. Pain stayed. I said, there's another one. Another one came. I laid hands. Boom. He left. The Holy Ghost told me there's another one. The pain shifted from here and came to my left. I said, there's another one. The pain is on your left. She came out. I laid hands on her. You get my point? So, you're not anxious. You go back with the pain. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you understand what I'm saying? But you see, you need a certain wisdom to know this is not an attack on my life. This is a feel after. There's something, there's somebody who needs help. Perhaps my antennas were so swift, I mean, shifted in a certain place that they were not sensitive to that woman who walked in with a cancer. You get where I'm coming from? Do you understand what I mean? And before you know it, somebody is delivered. One time we entered a room with, a, with a somebody, and then the moment I entered like this, I started to smell death. And then I told them, there's a spirit of death in this room. They said, what? Spirit of death? I said, yeah, there's a spirit of death. Then it kept on smelling and smelling that it started to disturb everything around me. I could literally, and then I said, in a vision, I could see that there was a woman in the next room. She was putting on something blue. And I said, there's somebody in the next room who is sick. I see somebody with a blue thing. She says, hey, my God, there's a woman there. So they bring this woman. She was smelling of cancer. She had rotten. She was rotten. We laid hands on her and the Lord healed. But you see, this is a feel after. Okay? It's a feel after. So, Jesus, while the man is making an altar call, Jesus tells me, from today, I want you to feel the way I feel. So he got his heart, put it in my spirit while I'm seeing like this. And before I know it, my eyes were open. I could see every unborn again person in the room. I mean every unborn again in that room. I could see each one. And I was aware at that particular moment of everybody who was supposed to be born again that day. I was aware. I knew that there were three ladies on my right, on my left, and there was another two people the other side. And I knew that all of the five had to get born again that day. I knew it in my spirit. So, when the man says, come and give your life to Jesus Christ, they hesitate. This burden gets onto my spirit and starts to consume me like a fire. It's burning your soul, but it's not consuming you. It's one of the most painful things a man could ever have. It's one thing when a man afflicts your body. It's another when you feel like something is afflicting your soul. It got a hold of me so badly that I remember it was too painful that I started to weep so bad. And before I knew it, a spirit of intercession hovered over my spirit. And then the next thing I know, I started to pray while I was weeping and tears were coming down and I was on the floor. And I started to ra-ba-ba-ba-ra-ra. I could see. I was on the floor down, but I could see everybody who was supposed to give their life to that Christ that day. And when one person came like this, the burden reduced. When the second person came, burden reduced. The third person redu- came, burden reduced. Fourth person came, burden reduced. Fifth person came, it stopped. Now, from that day, when somebody makes an altar call, there's a way I feel. Do you understand? There's a way I feel when somebody's making an altar call. When somebody says, even when I'm on radio and I hear that this, I know it's a recorded sermon. If somebody says, if you want to give your, just something just grips my spirit. And I know that I can't have peace until a certain people come in. You get that is why in, in many times when they make altar calls, my lips start to I just can't stop. You understand why? Because now I understand why he liveth to make intercession. You think that I want to sit back and take a sip of, of heavenly wine? No. But the Bible says he liveth to make intercession. He liveth. Because what's upon him can't stop. 
So when Ezekiel 22, 30 tells them that he looked for a man who should build the hedge, there's a hedge which was broken. You're not talking of men standing in a gap who don't even understand the hedge broken off the church. You get my point? You can't. You, they don't even understand what it means to be HD. They themselves are so outside the hedge, but they've grown up the ranks very quickly in the church that they are qualified to be ministers, but without a burden. You get my point? And it's easy to grow in many ways and have forms, you know, forms, and people look at you and they say, wow, this guy is anointed, yes. But you see, God is not looking for men who are anointed now. He's looking for men who can make up the age. Because he's not looking for... The spirit realm doesn't have gaps to fill. No, it has one gap to fill. Read the scriptures. He says that to stand in the gap is one gap. It's the gap that separates true knowledge from men who, from a certain false knowledge that I've seen now creep in the church, and it's defined as knowledge, but it is not knowledge. Because it's not a truth that tends to godliness. It does not manifest Christ. No, it just makes people better Christians. I don't know if you understand. It just makes them better Christians. They learn to pray more. They just learn to forgive more. They learn to fast more. But you see, Paul talks about an acknowledging a certain epignosis of the truth, an advanced knowledge of truth, which is after godliness. That, see, your end is not supposed to be a good Christian because there are good Muslims too. Your end must be God. That is why James speaks of the sufferings of, of, of Job. He says, for we know of the suffering and recall of the suffering of our brother Job. He speaks about an example of his suffering and affliction and the patience. Uh-huh. Next verse. But we behold and count them. He says, for you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Not our end. Listen. Even in the places where Job is, God's intention was for men to see his end. God's end. Not Job's end. I don't know you understand trying to tell you. So, we're not talking about just a small little place where people saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Listen, when you read that scripture, you realize that God doesn't save by many. And there was a time when churches were there, but there was no man in the gap. Ministries were growing, but there was no man in the gap. They were buying machines, television stations, they were on the air with radio stations moving, but there was no really man, there was not a man, the Bible is very clear, standing in the gap that the Lord might what? Save the land. There is a price. It's just not bigger than the grace because grace precedes it. But there is a price. The difference is he works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. When you tell Christians Jesus is about to come back, do you really think everybody understands the times of the spirit? That is why when Paul is talking about redeem the time, he's not talking about redeeming time. He's not talking about time earthly. He's talking about time spiritual, eternal. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Now men which labor as of them which are redeeming the time are different from men who don't even understand time or even do things like they, they don't know that Christ is coming back. I'll plant my apple tree even if tomorrow 
I'm not the kind who will not plant my apple tree because I'm told Jesus is coming tomorrow. I'll plant it. But I'll plant with the knowledge that he's coming back. I'll plant with the knowledge that he can come back any second. Are you hearing me? But you see, when those vibes are not pumping in the spirits of men, you realize that what we actually have in the church today are lasting ministers ministering to unlasting people. So it's just full of lust. The lust of the world. The lust of the world. That's why in the church you see competitions, comparisons, you know, all these kinds of things. I'm better than so and so. I'm bigger than this. I can do it better. I can do this, this. I can do it that. That guy is not right. I don't believe in him. How come he's doing it this way? We're supposed to be doing it that way. We don't believe in that. We believe in this. All of this is a sack of one thing. Men have lost the true burden of the Christ. I pray for something that will wake you up in the night and make you pray. Not because you have an interview tomorrow morning, but because the passion of the Christ is burning in your soul for the salvation of many. I pray that God might stir up something in your members that will cause you to pay a price than you have ever paid. Not because you have the ability to, but because you've been persuaded of a sufficiency that is not of you, but a sufficiency which was of God who has made us able ministers of the covenant. Because my brethren, the true hedge I have seen in the body of Christ today is the place of what Paul wants to explain to a people who carry utterance and all knowledge but are still babe. You will not, I don't know whether you understand. When Paul wants to talk to them, he's trying to make them understand there is a place in God above our articulations. There is a place in God above our utterance. There is a place in God above all knowledge. There is a place in God above all gifts. Because there is an end to all of these things. But after all of this is gone, we'll still have God. You understand? And we shall see him as he is. But when a man goes past all knowledge, are you hearing me? And all utterance, and all gifting, that he doesn't glory in how much he utters, neither glories in how much he knows, neither glories in how much is happening in his life. You will understand why Paul at an old age can say, I've, I, not that I've attained, but I seek that I may apprehend that which Christ apprehended me for. They, there's still something in Christ way deeper than the healing. There's still something way deeper in Christ than prophecy, than teaching, than prophesying, than preaching, than evangelizing. There's still something in God. And it's deeper than all this. It's the reason why we live. It's the reason why our hearts still pump blood. Do you understand? That we can't live. Because, that's why when Paul says I'm accountable of no man's blood. Because I've revealed the whole mystery. He knows that if he reveals only 99% of all the mystery. He's bound to lose life. And we, we, we realize that the lives of men are tagged against what we know. That the less we know the more men are dead. But are we even attached to the burden of men dying because we don't know? If we were, the Bible is very clear that through what? Through what? Through what? A man having what? 
separated himself. What does what? He seeketh an intermediless. But this is a desired position. It's not a duty and mandate. They don't tell you, please read your Bible because it's advisable. No, there's a desire that creeps into your soul and makes you want the word, makes you read it in the morning, makes you speak it upon your life in the afternoon, still makes you play that seed in the evening, makes you understand the mystery at night, and tomorrow morning it's still on you. The Bible says, seek ye the Lord forevermore. We don't stop. Praying always and in all ways through the Holy Ghost. We don't stop. Why? Because this is a desire issue. There is something burning in our souls. It's, it's deeper than, oh, please do this. No. It's so inside there that we can't stop to pray. We can't stop to sing. We can't stop to preach. We can't stop to worship. We can't stop to read the Bible. We just can't stop. And we're not there because we want to get a new job. We're not reading it to improve our ministry. We're reading it because this is eternal life that we might know the one true God and his only son Jesus that's it that's it so sometimes you find a man who ought to be praying for desire and he's asking for a job see I want to fall in love with Jesus so much so much that nothing ever seems to satisfy that I can sit in my car the other day the other day I was crying and, and, and I know people looked at me they were thinking what's wrong with this guy but you see when you learn to walk that life of salvation there's a way he makes you feel we're no longer preaching for the cameras no we've been approved before God as, as workers of the gospel but how be it that sometimes we want to communicate things above what you define as knowledge. We want to communicate things above that which you define as gifts. We want to communicate things above what you define as utterance. But we still can't because they can only be transferred in a figure. But the fear is how you transfer such treasure to swine. That such, you know, you, you don't want to give it to somebody who will not understand it because it will kill him. That is why of those men, the scriptures say they tested the powers of the ages. They didn't eat it up. I'm not talking of men who have come to test on the Lord. No. I'm talking of people who want him to sink so deeply inside them that every time you're speaking, people will know that this is God dealing with a man, speaking through a man, preaching through a man, teaching through a man, worshiping through a man. Oh, makarabazetele. Prophesying through a man, evangelizing through a man, loving through a man, comforting through a man. That our end is of the Lord. But you see, they don't understand that there can never be an existence of a hedge where there is no wall. You understand? And some have worked so hard to build walls around them. Those walls carry no hedges. And because those walls carry no hedges, a man will just walk around them seven times. And Jericho will go down. And the scriptures say, the kings, the princes, and every man therein have I given thee. Why? Because Jericho built walls and they were not hedged in. It's 
So you find a Christian who is also preaching from that book and he's also told that you're breaking down the walls. But do you carry walls yourself? Do you even carry hedges? You see, that's why I always insist there's a path which no fall knows. I don't say those words just for you to listen. I'm saying it because the church has to move to a certain place where no foul knoweth. Where even the center of our ministry is not to prepare men for their attacks outside. No. Because that's a very understatement for the God within. Paul persuaded us further. He said, greater is he which is in you than the devil in the world. But can I push a man to a place where no foul knoweth? Where the lion cannot creep where the vulture's eye has not seen because if that man is in that place hid in the shadow of almighty God and they are far from any attack or that if any attack should come it cannot have any effect on them then that's true freedom and if a man is free he will really serve God that is why when Moses goes to Pharaoh he tells them let my people go that they might serve me. The place of our true freedom is a place where we fully serve God. If you're here and you're not fully utilized in the service of the kingdom, you're more bound than you can ever think, even if you have a multi-million dollar car outside. Because true freedom is when you're free to heal, free to teach, free to prophesy, free to lead. You're free to. There is nothing holding you back. Not even your job can not even your connection, nothing can hold. You're too free in God to do exactly what he called you to do. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto your wisdom. Now, that is the wisdom that comes to every man whose days are numbered because the course of God upon their lives, the rest that which they are supposed to run is too clearly spelled out because the Lord has showed the beginning of how far they are going to move in the spirit of revelation to the end because the whole mystery of Christ revealed equals to the rest we run and the course we must keep. So now ultimately, when I'm going to bed tonight, I now have this weight in my spirit to ask myself the ultimate question. What has the Lord revealed to me? And I'm not talking of the, the mysteries as of how I progressively attain. Because that which I attain is of Apollos or Paul. It's not mine. From my spirit. So when the Bible says that whether Apollos or Paul, all of those things are yours. But what is defining you? Because we're, we're, we're talking about Paul has spoken and I understand. Peter has spoken, I understand. Apollos has done his part. One planted, another watered. I know that God giveth increase. But what is my part? Because I must reveal the whole mystery of Christ. It might not come in a preaching. It might have to be in a song. It might have to be in the drums that I play. But let me play a drum until scripture drops in a man's spirit. If David could play a harp and demons live so, then how much more you which carries God 24-7. The mystery which was hid from the ages past and now revealed. Christ in us the hope of glory. I just don't want you to play the piano. I want that piano to enter them at every fiber of a human being and convict them to love God and come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that a blind eye will see 
because they need to read the Bible, because they need to revive Congo, because it began with a guy who did not necessarily sit on the pulpit, but he played the piano with the revelation of the person of Christ. This is eternal life that you might know the one true God and his only son, Jesus. Now, when Paul comes to them and he says, I still can't speak to you as spiritual people. I've walked that path and I've understood things. I've understood things. Because, can I give you an example? He tells you in the beginning, Genesis. He tells you, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, I'm talking to men with utterance. I'm talking to men with all gifts. They come short in no gift. They understand Jesus in all ways. And Paul comes to them and tells them, now in Genesis, he speaks of the earth without form, or void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face where the darkness was. And they can ask themselves, why is the darkness on the face of the deep? Why isn't it in the deep? What is in the deep? Okay. What, what is in the deep? So when people say, ah, deep call it unto deep, they don't even understand the bearing of the things of the Spirit to know how God ought to speak to men. So when the scriptures speak of them, which speak face to face in the waters, eh? he didn't walk on water. To just define an experience of I walked on water, I have power. You understand? He's, he's a God who expects that there's an experience above the face of the deep. And he knew that you'll go through it. So he didn't say if you pass through water. He says when you pass through the water, I will be with you. But you see, the conversations of men underwater know very well that sound can't travel a certain way vision can't be a certain way that is why some of you need swimming glasses but all of these are just that's why some of you have not understood me <laughs> so when deep is calling and too deep eh? or when, when men speak face to face in the waters you know that scripture, that experience where he says, as in the water, answer is to face. Eh? So the heart of man to man. That the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.